So last, last week, we had guest speaker uh, tied in with our men's retreat, and uh, knowing that, I worked ahead last week and prepared for this Sunday's message a week ahead of time. Just wanted to give you that. And uh, I did that knowing that this week I would be participating in a pastor's conference down in Elizabethtown, and uh, I had a three-day uh, kind of retreat and focus on uh, messages that addressed pastors and the heart of the pastor, and uh, it was a tremendous, tremendous blessing to me personally. Um, I had been to pastors' conferences where it's more theologically driven topics, and this was more towards the pastor, his burden, his struggle, and his focus and his hope in the Lord, and uh, I f- was convicted. Uh, it is easy to grow weary in well-doing, and uh, the gladness uh, that is reflected in Paul's ministry, even though he was enduring significant trial, uh, I recognized, I need that gladness. I need the focus on the Lord, and uh, I personally was convicted by the Holy Spirit. Um, I uh, turned my heart over in the moment of preaching and hearing, and uh, it was a, a personal experience that was a blessing to me. Uh, it's almost like there's sometimes there's like one message that you, you, you need that in the whole conference that you're going to, and it happened for me on Wednesday evening, and uh, I, a uh, sense of renewal took place in my own heart, and I'm thankful for that. Um, out of that conference also, there's opportunity to buy books and resources, <laughs> Uh, which, uh, to the chagrin of my wife, I also participated in. Maybe I need to repent of that. I don't know. Uh, But I did think of you as a church family as well. Um, I found some small resources that I thought would be very helpful for some of us here, and I'm going to give these away free. Um, They were only $3 a piece, so don't think too much on that. But uh, I have three copies. Uh, One, this is called A World of Love or Heaven. And this is a short sermon, basically in little book form, uh, written by someone that I appreciate. His name is Jonathan Edwards. And it is a tremendous little sermon that helps you visualize the love that we're going to experience in heaven that will go on and on and on. And I would encourage you, if you'd like to read, or you've lost someone, or you think, you know, you want to prepare your own heart what will be yours? I'd encourage you to come up after the service, and, and I'll, I'll give you one of these. And again, there's only three, so you've got to be quick. And this uh, little book by uh, Ralph Venning is uh, called The Way to True Happiness. This was written by a saint, uh, a, a saint, a, a, a believer, uh, we're all called saints, uh, it, who lived during the 1600s. And he, he described, truthfully, the biblical way towards true happiness. And there's so many distractions in our life that clamor and tell us that if you follow that voice, you will find happiness. And so I'd encourage you to come pick up one of these. This is an excellent little resource. Hopefully, it will be an encouragement to you as well. So there's six, little, six of these, so I hope I see six people. All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2. And I also uh, was grateful for... Uh, Pastor Gregory being with us last week, I told him after the service, uh, you did me a wonderful favor. favor. 
I said, my, my people will thank me for being a brief speaker. And uh, he got a good chuckle out of that. He said, yeah, every time my youth pastor gets up, he makes me look bad. So uh, it was, uh, I personally, though, was encouraged by uh, the whole retreat, thankful for his ministry. Um, Haggai chapter 2, we are in verses 10 through 19 this morning. We only have one more message in this little book after today. In Haggai 2, 10 through 19, I'm going to read the verses in just a moment, but let me begin this way this morning by reflecting on the difficulty that many of us have as believers in being a disciple of Jesus. It's often like the experience of a young boy who got his hand caught inside an expensive vase. And his parents uh, were really upset, and they started to apply soap and, and, and also some oil to his hand, and they couldn't get his hand out. And when it seemed like they would have to break this expensive vase, uh, the boy said, would it help if I let go of the penny that's in my hand? I mean, so often, though, it is the way it is with believers we, we hold on to things that prevent us from truly enjoying being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we make things hard on ourselves un- so unnecessarily. We cause great anguish to those who want to shepherd us and to lead us well. And so, it's so important that we learn to let go of the trivial, let go of that which is temporary, even sinful, and so that we can take hold of that which is eternal and that which is full of joy, that which is everlasting. And so I think it's important for us to reflect on this, that when we become a Christian, we just begin to start to see our sin as God sees our sin. And we don't fully grasp all that we, we know within our heart. We don't understand the depth of our sinfulness We don't understand the breadth or the depth of our defilement. And yet, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it requires us to commit ourselves to letting go of that which the Holy Spirit reveals in our hearts. Just like the experience I had at that conference. The Holy Spirit, in the moment of preaching, spoke to my heart and I had a choice to make. Am I going to hold on to that penny, or am I going to let it go? And it's so essential for our discipleship and listening to the voice of Jesus that we prepare ourselves to let go that which is sinful, that which is temporary, to take hold of the eternal. Now, our text this morning, which I'm going to read in just a moment, I want you to, I'm setting this up because What goes on in this text is an action of the Holy Spirit to reveal impurity in worship. And the priests who hear this message are left with a choice as to how they will respond to this revelation. How are they going to respond? Are they going to hold on to the way they've been practicing worship? Or are they going to let go of their preference and their ideas and then submit themselves to following God's Word. So, let's read now so you can see where we're going. 
Haggai 2, we're in verse 10, and we read these words. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold uh, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, Yes, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of his hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed before, upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you with all the products of your toil, with blight and with mildew and with hail, and yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is a surprising text because we might imagine a holy frown. Did you notice at the end, there was a very positive statement of God's intention to bless them? From this day forward, instead of a holy frown, we hear sweetness, sweetness of communication. It's quite interesting, but it reveals to us that God is predisposed to bless our repentance and obedience. This is the heart of God. God is interested in pouring out His blessing upon people who respond to His Holy Spirit. When we deny ourselves and put away that which is unholy and embrace the holy, God is desiring to pour out His blessings upon us. This is a divine encouragement. Why are there times in Scripture a warning seems more the tone? I think it has a lot to do with because God knows the human heart better than we know human hearts. He knows when he's dealing with a scorner, and maybe a rod is necessary to beat the back of the scorner. Maybe he understands that the person he's dealing with is simple-minded, and it's not going to require as heavy a weight. But then he also knows that genuine believers can be shown honey and the sweetness, and that motivates them to follow, to turn, and come to him. God is truly predisposed to bless our repentance and our obedience. Jesus wants to give us joy. 
He wants us to let go, like that boy, and embrace him. In this text, it's very surprising. I, I, as I was working through it this week, I was like, now, why is this here? I mean, it, as you're thinking through the flow of the book, it really struck me that they were about the Lord's business already. They were busy doing work, and yet God comes in and gives them some further instruction about how they can grow and change more. And so, it led me to realize that while they were busy obeying God, they were actually in a place to receive communication from God and also to follow what they heard. And I think I'm going to show you, I hope and I pray that you'll see this in verses 10 through 14, how that blessing is most often found when you're practicing spiritual disciplines. They are actively, as people, uh, going about the business of doing the building of the temple. For them, that was their spiritual duty. That was the discipline that God had asked them to do. And there is value in doing what they are doing. Um, And I want you to see, in verse 10, for example, you see a place marker of date. And it struck me as, this is really interesting. Because it says, you know, when we read dates, sometimes we don't catch all the significance of why a date would pop up in the flow. But it says here that on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, so it's in the same year that this whole activity started, um, that the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. Well, this date is very significant because it's exactly three months since the work of the temple began. Three months. Three months it often takes us, isn't it, to, to form a habit, to form a, a pattern. They're actively engaged for three months doing building, collecting, sorting, systemizing, constructing the temple. It's a lot of work. It's also two months since they had received the last communication from God. In chapter 2, verse 1, you see uh, Haggai coming to them again and and trying to encourage them in the midst of their, their work. So, think through the flow of this book. It's not that long of a book, and we haven't been that long through it, but I can understand if we forget where we are. But you, you see in the book, it starts with a bang. Haggai comes with the Word of God. It's like out of nowhere, and it has been out of nowhere. The Word of God had not been heard for some time. And when they heard it, they were convicted and started to, to recognize that now is the time to start to rebuild the temple. And so they got themselves started. No one was hardening their heart. There was a desire and unity. They were coming together. And they started working. And then reality hits. In chapter 2, they recognize it's a big job. And maybe they're going to be unsuccessful to do what they think they're going to do. Haggai comes in, encourages them again, and says, You can do this in the strength of God. You can work. You can, you can, God's going to fill the gaps that you don't have, and He's going to kind of work through you. 
And so now we come to the third month here, and the significance is this. They have been consistently preparing and working every day for the last three months. This is remarkable spiritual discipline. Well, you might say, well, no, that's physical discipline. No, 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 no. Because God told them to do it, it was spiritual service. And it's important for us to recognize that while we're not building a physical temple today, we're building upon Christ the cornerstone. We are building on the blood of Jesus Christ, renovating and turning around this wretched soul that we exist and live with. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 12, 1 through 2, encourages us to be active in the renewal of our minds. To be active, it's our spiritual service. And so, while we look into the Old Testament, we say, well, how do I relate to this? We relate to this in a big way. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is our activity as Christians now to be busy about the process of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines do not make you a Christian. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling you makes you a Christian. But as we are obedient to the commandments of God to follow Him, we are engaged in spiritual disciplines that are like a means of grace. Now, the word means of grace can sound awkward to our ears, but you know, if you, if you kind of get involved in any trade, there are terms that you learn that would sound awkward to most of us. I mean, a lock wrench? What's a lock wrench? Is there such a thing? Maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. You know, channel locks, it's, it's all Greek to me, but when we enter into a relationship with God who is divine, we learn terms that help us understand how we relate to God. And in His Word, He describes for us means, things that we do, that while we do them, God in His grace shows up. He doesn't convert us because we're doing these things, but God pours out His blessings upon us as we do them. What am I talking about? Spiritual disciplines, things that we know that God has determined to bless. Things like reading the Word of God privately, hearing the Word of God corporately. These are disciplines that we participate in. I have to tell you, if I wasn't in the process of working through Scripture myself, the effect of that conference that I went to would not have nearly been as significant as it was. God brings blessing to those who are pursuing Him, and it's important for us to recognize this. In an office discussion, Jeremy and I discussed this this week, the value of spiritual disciplines. And Jeremy observed this, that in counseling, <laughs> he has found that those who make the most successful progress are those who are already doing spiritual disciplines. It's like more coaching at that point. Because 
because they've been engaged in the Word, it's, only, it's like a tune-up. It's like turning them and getting them back in the right direction. And so we should not despise the small things that God says are big things. Spiritual disciplines like reading and prayer and memorizing the Word and fasting or worship as a corporate body, these are important things in the life of a believer. They're means of grace. And it's so important to realize, you know, that God's disciples will, Jesus' disciples will want to know Him. How else do we know Him except by the means by which He has left for us to know Him? It's the Word of God. And it's so important for us to realize that disciples who are active in following will be engaged in every possible way that God has given to us. Now, when we hear the word spiritual discipline, our hearts and heads start to roll. Kind of like if you were to tell me, go to the gym. Oh, come on. Do I have to go to the gym? Well, if I'm going to get somewhere, I, like get physically fit, then I would have to be. If I'm going to look like Dave Mashur, I'm going to have to go to the gym. Right? What's that? Oh, at that one too. Yeah, right. But you, if you can't see the goal of where you're going to go, it's going to feel like drudgery, right? Don Whitney is a, a, a trustworthy believer. He described it this way. He said that discipline without direction is drudgery. And it will be drudgery to pick up the Word of God and read it each day if we can't visualize where we're going, who we're looking to. And it's so important. It profoundly affects the attitude. And direction gives hope. And hope produces steadfastness. And steadfastness produces growth. It's like learning an instrument. If I was to pick up the guitar and not be able to visualize that I'm going to be able to play like a Jimi Hendrix or whoever your favorite is, like, you've you got to be able to visualize where you're going. And it's kind of like a, a circular pattern. <laughs> you've got to get on the merry-go-round first to be able to see where you're going as well. So that it doesn't feel like a merry-go-round. So it's important for us to realize that spiritual disciplines are a means of grace. But I want you to see now, we're going to look a little bit closer at the text, verses 11 uh, to 13, I want you to see how out of these, there's, there's opportunity for purification of our heart and receiving blessing. Now, verse 11 and thir- through 13, Haggai goes to the priests and asks them a question about the law. Haggai asks them about, how relevant is this? Contact tracing. If that which is holy comes into contact with that which is not, what is the outcome? Well, he describes this holy meat being held in the hem of like the the garment and being carried so that it it, it wouldn't be like contaminated and then bumping up against something that, that, that was not dedicated yet. What would happen? Well, the whole thing would just fall apart. It would, it would not be dedicated and pure. And, and so, the answer to his first question is no. And the reason that this wouldn't be the case 
is that purity only occurs when we conform to God's standards and God's law. God had given a very specific pattern that needed to be observed. And the reality of this is, it's to teach us. It's to teach us that we are not pure. We're like the next question that he gives. He says, um, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the truth is, yes, because we're all unclean. We're all dead when compared to the holiness of God. We're all dead and impure. And the point of all of this is mostly directly revealed in that because of sin, we are dead. Sin defiles a person, and it creates spiritual death within our inner man. And so, this is what's going on. They're, they're in the process of obedience. They're, they're doing the construction of the temple. But God, in this spiritual discipline journey that they're on, reveals to them that something is lacking. Something was lacking. One might say that their worship was sincere. It was a, like, from their perspective, hey, we're, we're, we're building the temple. God's going to overlook this. And sincerity, though, unfortunately, does not count because all of our righteousness are filthy rags. Before a holy God... No matter how sincere you think you are, you will still fall short of the glory of God. Yet, I think this is important. Note that God is intending to bless them. He has a disposition to bless them in spite of the fact that they can't, they can't purify themselves on their own. This we can look from the vantage point of our New Testament era and realize that God's blessing comes to us ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot on our own satisfy the law's demands. We have a champion, and His name is Jesus, who did it for us. That's the heart of God. That is the disposition that God has to bless us, impure people, such as we are. And that's grace. And it ought to motivate us to, to then purify our hearts. If we have the weight of like obligation upon us, I don't know how you do, but it's almost like forget it, I just want to give up. But when Jesus comes to us and says, no, my child, I've done it all for you, what does that do to you? What does it do to me? I, I it lifts the burden of obligation so that I actually am now free to serve Him because I love Him. That's the grace of the gospel. That's the heartbeat that's, that's latent within this text. While God is communicating to them their impure acts, He's also inviting them into following. He's not going to destroy them here. He's communicating His desire to bless them. And it's important for us to see how 
these spiritual disciplines prepared them to receive this blessed communication because I'm jumping down a little bit ahead of myself, but in verse 19, it's God's desire from this day forward to bless them. It's His desire. But you know, spiritual disciplines also deepen our understanding of God. In the fact that they were going through this ritual service and preparing pure and holy meat for sacrifices, they were learning something about God. They were learning about His holy character. And I think it's instructive for us to remember that the sacrificial system and law was designed to remind Israel of God's holiness. The law, the written law, where it was all reflective, it was a way to deepen understanding of who God is. David, in Psalm 119, said this, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter than honey. That's beautiful. Could that be our heart attitude when we reflect upon the law and read the Bible, that we would see them as sweeter than honey? Well, that often depends upon our perspective of who we're going to see when we go to the Scriptures. Who are we going to see? Who are we going to know? You know, many of us have snapshots of our grandparents. Many of those snapshots are tied to memories, are they not? But those snapshots don't mean a whole lot to our children if they've never met the grandparent that we have delighted in, right? You know, we can give those photos to our grandchildren, but if we don't share the stories that are associated with the image of the parent, it's not going to mean much. And in the same way, David, who wrote those verses about how sweet, how sweet these stories are about God, it's because he knows and he's experienced God. Often the scriptures are often like a, we look at them as like, this is a snapshot, this is just like a little bit of my awareness of who God is. And we often don't go deeper into those stories to really know Him. And so when we go about our life, we don't see God because we don't know Him. David knew Him because he saw in the law that God was faithful, forgiving, And he experienced that himself, didn't he? Psalm 51, we have a record of him receiving the grace of God and the forgiveness of his adultery. He knew God to be a gracious God. You know, we can have a very factual understanding of who God is, but we will never, never truly... We can have a Sunday school version of God. (laughs) And we deprive ourselves if we're not actively engaged in the Word of God to know Him like a grandparent, if you will. It's so important for us to to recognize that spiritual disciplines are designed to deepen our understanding of God. 
because God is predisposed to bless our repentance and obedience. A lot of people have this vision of God that He's this ogre in the sky. It's because they don't know Him. They don't know who He really is. And so, as we look at the last little bit of this text, I want you to see that blessing is most often found when you purpose to become a more committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Verses 15 to 19, we still have God speaking through Haggai and asking them how it was when they had the blight to their crops and the hail and things didn't materialize. It's really interesting that he keeps kind of going back to this. I mean, well, it's only two two chapter book, but already he's, he's mentioned this several times to consider their ways. See, in verse uh, 15, um, he says, now then, consider from this day forward. Oh, now this is a little different perspective, isn't it? But in order to be able to consider from this day forward, they have to also consider the past. He says, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the product of your toil with blight and mildew and hail, and yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. But consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. There is a call to renewal and determination to be a more committed disciple, if you will. We think about it from a New Testament era. And so, God is reminding them of the circumstances that caused their pain, but He's also showing them His plan to remove the pain and bless them. Why? Why would God do this right now? Because people are prone to wander. We are prone to wander. As soon as life turns back to normal, we forget don't we? We forget. We forget the lessons we once learned. When the pandemic hit, how did you fare? How was it for you? Did you turn again to God during that time? When national events hit, should we not take time to reflect? upon our lives to see maybe how we've contributed to some of this and purpose now to follow God in a more purposeful manner? Each of us has a role to play in the well-being of our nation. Today on Memorial Day weekend, we're thinking about the role that others have played in our relationship with our Boy, that's really distracting. I better take this down. <laughs> we take notice of those who have gone before us. And they had a role to play. But we overlook the fact that we have a role to play in the well-being of our nation as well. The folks who 
came back to the land had a role that directly played in the prosperity of their country. They didn't actively engage in doing what God commanded them to do, and so it didn't go well for them. Now, I've been in the topic of spiritual disciplines, and I think it's important for us to realize the spiritual, the spiritual disciplines that we may have also neglected through the years. Now, I'm going to speak broadly here for a moment, not specifically, but I think we could all identify with this. I'm going to focus on the discipline of public worship. COVID, prior to COVID, studies showed that regular attendance in a congregational worship, it looked like one or two times a month, where people perceived themselves to be faithful in their attendance. And then the pandemic hit. And then we couldn't be together and practice that spiritual discipline of coming together. But you know, this is something that's been going on for years. So this is why I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm saying this is kind of a broad speak to the issue. In the 1960s, our country relaxed the blue laws, you know, where it forced, where it had been a forcing of everyone to stop and rest. And it encouraged a regular attendance and a worship of God on a Sabbath, on, on Sunday. And I ask ourselves, well, how has that gone? How has that gone for us? How has it affected your lives that, that the country has said you can do whatever you want on Sundays? How has that affected your life? Are people now more rested than they have ever been? Have we become a more spiritual nation because of doing so? Frankly, many Christians have followed the world and have forsaken the priority that they claim that they would honor in the midst of absence of legislation. Abby's childhood pastor used to say this, and I think it's wise. I, didn't, I chafed under it when I first heard her tell me about it, but then I said, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. If you make the decision once, you will never have to make that decision again. If you make the decision to go to church on a Sunday, you're never really going to have to make that decision again because you've already made it. You don't have to get up on Sunday morning and wonder, am I going to church this Sunday or not? If you purposely predetermine to do this, you don't have to worry about it. Now, obviously, things do come up that I'm, I'm cognizant of, and there's sickness and all that type of stuff. I get that. But if your predisposition is to go to church on a Sunday, you don't have to struggle with that each week. You know what you're going to be doing. You're purposing yourself to be a part of the spiritual disciplines that are good for your soul. God intends to bless you for prioritization of Him and the fellowship of believers. I want to share an extended illustration. I, someone who made that choice just recently, I, I heard a testimony of a business owner in Mississippi who uh, committed himself to closing his store on Sundays. He was an owner of a Piggly Wiggly grocery chain. 
I love that name, Piggly Wiggly. That's a great name. It's got to be from Mississippi. And he made the commitment, he and his wife, when they had purchased this store, that when they had it paid off, they were going to, like, close on Sundays. And when the debt was paid off, uh, he and his wife were discussing, and his wife said, you know, honey, we made this commitment. Are we going to do it now? And uh, he was still wrestling. The owner was still wrestling. This is the owner here. He was still wrestling with God over the decision before putting those wheels in motion. I'm going to read a few of his statements here because he'll say it better than I could re-represent it. He said this, I just bowed my head and I said, Lord, we'll start closing in three weeks. He said that getting inventory, he needed the three weeks to kind of restructure the inventory because of like food sitting out on shelves for a long period of time over the weekend and, and that sort of thing, communicating with his employees. And, uh, you know, but he also wanted to make sure the employees knew what was going on. He said, if they weren't able to attend church service to be able to do that, we wanted them to do it. I didn't want it to be that work stood in the way anymore. One of the employees who had stocked shelves there for many years explained that his fellow workers were saying about this new policy, the guy named Danny said, they think it's great. They think it's a good change. They think more people ought to follow suit. And the owner, who really in his own mind didn't work a lot of Sundays anyway, he said the change was good for him too. Because anyone who's ever been in management knows you're always thinking about the business. You're, should I go down there and check on how things are going? You're never able to shut off. So Piggly Wiggly announced its closing on April 20th with a three-week notice to March 1st or May 1st. And they did this announcement on Facebook, okay? And the post had 600,000 views. And the owner said, this was my favorite comment from a professed atheist. He said, I don't believe in God, but I think it's great for a business to be willing to forego their sales to allow their employees to be off. Oh, sales. <laughs> There's the tug. Sunday sales in the grocery chain are often the biggest sales. In fact, they can be day, the biggest day of the month. Listen to this. And think about whether you could count the cost in order to do this. Every Sunday that they're closed, they lose $30,000 in sales. $30,000 in sales. But then he said, you know, actually, it would be great, actually, if something else would come out, that the sign that sits on the door that says that we're closed on Sundays so that our folks can go to church if they wish. The owner said this, imagining what might occur if someone who is going to get a pack of buns on Sunday morning with their kid, going to the door and seeing the sign on the door. This is what he said, well, it, from, the, from the dad's perspective, it says on the door they, they're closed so they could let their employees go to church on Sundays, spend day, time with their family. And he says, and the boy looks up at his dad, and maybe the, dad, the child would say, well, hey, I'd like to go to church on Sundays. Maybe it creates a dialogue. Maybe it creates 
waves in our community. Could we shut down and give place to God? One last line from the owner, and this is the clincher, I believe. He wishes that he made that choice sooner. He said, every time you think with letting go of the world and holding on to God, you've always re- you'll always regret the length it took you to do so. He says, I just pray that every time I have a decision to make that I hold on a lot less. Like the child who's got his hand caught in the jar, in the vase. If he had just let go, it would have been so much easier. Blessings would have come his way. But you know, that's what God's disposition is for you. Consider from this day on, I will bless you. God is predisposed to bless you. He wants to pour out His blessings upon you. He's wanting you to turn and confess sin. Now, some of us may have things that we're holding on to that is so unnecessary. We may be holding on to bitterness. Think about what could be yours if you would let it go and confess it. Maybe it's a grudge. Maybe it's secret immorality. Whatever it is that you're holding on to and putting above the glory of God, it's so not worth it. He is so interested in blessing you. So we have a choice to make. We have a choice to become a more committed follower of Jesus Christ. He wants us to follow Him. Why don't we want to follow Him? Why don't we want to practice spiritual disciplines? There's really no good reason for that. 